believe is because we have honored the Lord, and we need to return to that. And so would you pray with me? Father God, we do ask that as Congress convenes and Lord mulls over all of these many different options that have been thrown out for solving this national debt crisis, Lord, your word is clear that a nation that is a debtor nation is a slave nation. And so we know ultimately that you would like us to get out of spending more money than we take in. That would certainly be your plan. But we know that that may take some difficult compromises. And we ask, whether Democrat or Republican, God, that you would grant wisdom to those who are going to make these decisions on our behalf. Lord, we pray for our president. Lord, we we don't believe that he's really listening to you most of the time. At least I don't. And I pray that you would speak to him. I pray that there would be truly a sense that you're leading in this nation. Lord, as as Alexis de Tocqueville said, uh, that this is the most unique nation on the face of the earth. And, Lord, we do believe that's because of our faith and trust in you. We pray for those Christian leaders in our Congress. We ask that you would make them bold, that they would stand strong that where there is compromise necessary, there would be some, and where there needs to be an absolute stance uh, that is yours, that they would take that. And, Father, that we would do what is necessary. Lord, to not burden our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And, God, you alone know how many generations are left before you come. But, Lord, what we're faced with right now, apart from you doing a miracle, Uh, seems hopeless but we know in you that it's not and so god we give you this difficulty we pray for your outcome not ours but yours we ask this morning as we open your word to study it that we would be enriched and enlightened emboldened with our faith and that god that you would speak to us through it it's in jesus precious name we ask these things amen this morning, turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first seven verses. Probably some of you, we're certainly in this place, you know, as you raise your children and uh, you, you get to that time of 18, you know, and college comes up or military service comes up or that uh, movement off into their own lives comes up, you, you finally realize that you know, you've really done all you can do and you've said all you can say, uh, that there in fact is nothing else that you really can do, uh, but you find yourself giving those reminders, at least I do, and sometimes they're not really all that welcome. You know, you tell your children for the 7,000th time that, you know, this is the way things are and uh, you need to receive that instruction because I'm wise and I've lived on the earth a long time, you know. Uh, you, you say those goodbyes, you give those well wishes, and that's kind of where this is with regard to Paul writing to Timothy. This is his, basically his son in the Lord. That's a man whom he has raised and brought up in ministry. It's a man who he has sent out. Uh, they are separated by uh, more than a thousand miles. Uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul is in a Roman prison. And so as he's writing, it's kind of a a little bit of a last-minute instruction. Some things that he would remind Timothy uh, in, this is the way you ought to live your life. He's already affirmed Timothy's character and his study and those things that uh, are necessary in his life. He's expressed confidence in him. Uh, he, He now begins to kind of discuss with him, almost like a father to a son, kind of some lessons from living. 
So some things that you could draw from life and the examples thereof. And he's going to give us several vocations here, three of them specifically, and one implied in the first couple of verses. Uh, and, it, and it kind of shows how our walk with the Lord, and specifically to those of us who were in full-time ministry, uh, we have a practical application of the things that we're studying today. This is not some knowledge that you just gain in your head and and it becomes you know something that you can philosophically uh, entertain. There are lessons that we can learn from life that apply to the scriptural truths. Uh, if we want to achieve long-term results with the things that God's doing, uh, then, then we need to recognize that there's long-term struggles and difficulties and hardships. Uh, the Christian life is not one of complete and total ease. When the Lord saves us, He certainly doesn't remove us from difficulty. He does not take us out of this world, uh, though some of us wish that He would. Uh, we, we're here, in, in, in essence, living our lives in the same way that everyone else who doesn't know the Lord does, so that they would have us as an example of how to live godly in Christ Jesus. And in doing so, I believe that really is the most powerful witness that we have. Some of us are gifted at sharing our faith. In other words, we could explain, you know, the basic doctrines of faith and how to give your life to Jesus and all those kinds of things. But far more important is how you live your life. Because your life lived is the window that most people have to look through and to see. And if we don't do that, and if we do not live our lives according to the principles of God's word, in that secular arena, in that neighborhood that you live in, in that place of work or at school or wherever you find yourself, if you don't live it there, then I believe we have missed the greatest opportunity to show the world what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't do me a bit of good if I stand here and teach you and then you find out that this is the only place where any of those things apply to my life. Amen? I would hope that you would expect me to be kind and gentle uh, in the grocery store. I, I would expect that when, you know, I pull into line at the gas station and there's 40 Flatlanders all having a little confab there and, you know, because it's the only wide spot to, that, that I would exhibit patience and kindness and, and wait for them, not lay on the horn and jump out. I can't believe, why did you go home? Now, I do think that occasionally. It's, it's kind of like, you know, some of us actually live here. I'm sure you all have those same thoughts. It's like, you know, we actually live here. Could you kind of let us do our thing? We, we think those things, but it really is how we live our lives. And that is the place that Paul is going to speak to Timothy from. And so here, verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And you, therefore, my son. So you can see the context here. He's, he's talking as a father to a son. I know there are many things that I've talked to my boys. Connie and I have had those kinds of conversations at that time in life. It's like, here's the difficulties of life, and here's the things you want to avoid. You know, there are certain things that are, that are best learned by that person in their own life. You know, you can, you can tell your children about principles of stewardship and fiscal responsibility and all those kinds of things, but guess when they really learn them? when they have to balance their own budget, when they have to pay their own bills, when, when they're beginning to do those things which put them in harm's way if they have failure. Amen? 
Uh, that's where rubber meets the road in life in general. You can sit there and speak all day long about purity of mind and thought, but when it comes time to where you're now thrust into that situation, that's where it becomes real. And so here it is that uh, he's going to instruct him as a son, be strong, notice this, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that before he gives any example, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ Jesus and he in you, it is impossible to be strong in that grace. And he says, Timothy, uh, everything else, what he's really saying, and, and this is so important, he's saying everything in life should be tempered with the grace of God. Everything. Every absolute thing should be tempered with the grace of God. Because you can focus in on discipline. You can focus in on correction. You can focus in on righteousness. You can know all the great doctrines of faith. You can explain those things verse after verse after verse. But nothing so separates the love of God in a practical application in our world as the grace of God. Because God's grace is simply His unmerited favor. Amen? So when I'm disobedient, what I don't want is God to give me justice. Amen? You know what the vehicle is that brings that to me. It's His grace. And by His grace, I receive mercy. So what I don't want when I've been short or mean-spirited is I don't want Him to chastise me. I would rather that He is gentle and kind and merciful. The vehicle by which that comes is the grace of God. It's unmerited favor. You, you see, if we're not strong in the grace of the Lord, if the grace of God does not absolutely soak into every area of our life, then you get out of balance. You see, the grace of God balances discipline. The grace of God balances righteousness. God is perfectly righteous. The grace of God balances His justice. The grace of God is the balance of everything. I should be lovingly gracious. I should be humble and gracious. You can just simply put graciousness in front of or after virtually everything that you do. I want to excel, in other words, what he's really saying. I want to excel in the grace of God. Every day I think about things that you know have implications that are going to affect people's lives. But you know what I want to end with? I want to end with God's grace. You know, I have to deal with tough things. I have to talk to people about things I'd rather not talk to them about. Quite frankly, I would like it if everyone called me and gave me nice stories. We're doing great. We're doing awesome. It is amazing what God's doing in our lives, and our finances are okay, and our kids are doing well, and we just celebrated our umpteenth anniversary, and we're, all, we're going on a new cruise. I, that's what I would like to hear. But you know what I hear? We had a fight. And we're not sure our marriage is going to stay together. Now, it's easy to pick out, quite frankly, who's mostly in the wrong. Almost without exception, I can pick out who's mostly in the wrong. 
by my Bible, I can say, okay, you did this, you did not do this, this is mostly your fault. But you know the only way to discuss that between two people is the grace of God. The only way to minister to both sides is the grace of God. Because you need grace for the sinner, and you need grace for the saint. You you need grace for the one who's walking rightly with the Lord, and you certainly need grace for the one who's not walking rightly for the Lord. We all need grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can I share with you that there's really nothing new that you've heard me teach from this pulpit. These same truths, these same principles have been taught for the last 2,000 years because they are simply the Word of God applied in an applicational way to the circumstances and situations of our day. But the truths themselves are the same truths that Paul taught to Timothy. The truths themselves are the same truths that Peter taught. They're the same truths that James taught. They're the same truths that Jesus himself taught. It's nothing new. As I shared with you before, if it's new, it's probably not true, is what D.L. Moody said. These are eternal truths. There are things that are just as applicable today as they were when they were first written. And in fact, the truths themselves go all the way back to the Father. These were not things that were made up 2,000 years ago. These are truths that are eternal. They're timeless. We happen to have them in written form from that period of time and forward. But they're eternal truths. That's all a pastor does. All a pastor really does is pass along as a steward of truths that we've received ourselves. We simply pass that on to the next generation, to another group of people. And you apply it to your lives. And we apply it as a church. And then we go out and live it in our world. It is that simple. I'm a steward. That word steward really is best described as a caretaker. We're stewards of the things of God. I am a caretaker of the things of God. And as a caretaker, guess whose things they are? They're still God's. You're a steward of the riches of the truth of God. You're a steward of the provision that God has made for you. You are a steward of the earth because it's all still His. It's not mine. It's not yours. What you claim to own, you don't own. It's actually still God's. Every person, every child, we talk about our children. And of course there's practical truth to that. They're from our flesh. They're bone of our bone. Of course, that is partially true. But at the end, my children are gods. At the end, this world belongs to the Lord. And He can do with it as He wills and pleases. That's why the truth of God is so important. Because it is that, in essence, manual of operation, if you will, for the entire universe. Now, it doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us enough that we can take these truths and we simply pass them along to everybody else. 
when someone wants to know how to, to live a married life, timeless truths in God's Word, that you take the truth itself and then you apply it to the situation. I'm passing along the truth. And as I pass it to you, you then pass it to other people, unaltered. They're timeless truths. Applied for the situation in relativity to the time in which you teach it, yes. But it's God's truth, and it's unchanged, and we pass that along. That's why when somebody tells me, well, you know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and you know, times have changed. I almost in my spirit laugh. Because when I read my Bible, you know what I see? Nothing's changed. Oh, we change how we break His laws. We, we, change, we have changed, we've made up new ways to be despicable. Uh, we've come up with new things, but the things themselves, they're still the same. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, the love of money. Are any of those things new things? My goodness, no. They're the same things that people struggled with 2,000 years ago. They're the same things that people struggle with today. We may struggle with them differently. Drunkenness, guess what? There have been drunks around for a long time. It's just the way that we experience those things. The truths are perfectly applicational to today. Pass those along to faithful men, faithful women. That word men, by the way, is not men as in the male gender. It is men as in mankind. You ladies absolutely, absolutely have just as important part in the passing along, and in some cases, more so. If you'd have been here for VBS, for those of you that didn't come, uh, if we were relying on men, wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Would not have gotten done. Hey, there are things that flat out you ladies are better at. And one of them, quite frankly, is teaching children. Because us guys, you know, we, well, we light things on fire. <laughs> Which I did. You really don't want to pass that along to, I'm not quite sure why I did that, because now I'm, I'm going to be responsible for several home fires this week, so. Able to teach others also. Pass it along. And you therefore, now notice these things, and we'll take the rest of them. Therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also anyone who competes in athletics. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the hard-working farmer must first partake of the crops. And now consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding into all things." And so he begins with setting the standard that we're passing along as stewards. Notice this. We're simply passing along that which we ourselves have received. I'm not giving you anything new. It, it, is, it is stunning to me. And I have a lot of, most of you have seen, if you've been in my office, I've got old books from a long time ago. 
most some of them from the late 1700s, actual real copies of those, all the way until today. And when you read them, you know what I noticed? They're the same. Almost exact same issues existed. A little different context. Some things at times have taken a larger place of the forefront of the thoughts of man, but largely it's all the same stuff. As I think on that and think of how to apply these truths, you know what I I realized? I'm probably not saying anything that hasn't been said before. may have been said a little differently, different tone, vocal inflection, somebody with more hair. You know, there's all kinds of things that could happen, but the truth itself is timeless. Ministry is not something that I obtained. It's something that's given. And we're stewards of that spiritual treasure. You can look at it this way. You know, if you were given someone's household to watch over, and and, uh, we don't see this as much as we used to in this country, uh, but people did have servants, and it's not quite as prevalent. But when someone was a servant, they had charge of the bank accounts and everything else. They could pay bills. They could make sure that uh, things were taken care of, that the children were picked up, and all of those things. They literally had access to the wealth and to the talent and time, the treasure of that family. And that's really it. We have that same exact place in God's kingdom. God's handed us the treasure, the riches of Jesus. He's given us all the word that we need to live our lives godly. And he says, now go proclaim that same truth. And in essence, that's all we're doing. The other thing that's hidden here in this first couple of verses is the things that we're passing along, uh, we should be testing by one source and one source alone, and that is the Word of God. We test things by the Word of God. I do not test things by whether they're popular or not. Because I can tell you, I can come up with some things that would be really popular. The fourth Sunday of the month is $100 Sunday. Everyone who comes gets a crisp $100 bill. Place will be packed. And we'll be broke. You know, there's all kinds of things that you could you could come up with great ideas. You know, this is a church growth thing and we'll just do this. We test it by the Word of God. And everything from biblical principles of stewardship to those things which relate to our relationships while we're on this earth, we get from the Word of God. Family of God, please look to your Bibles first. You'll save yourself so much grief. You'll save yourself so much heartache. Grab a Halley's Bible handbook. They cost four bucks. And they have basically all of the topics contained in the Bible. Uh, Use your concordance. You can simply look for yourself and go, wow, I'm struggling with this. And you flip through it because guess what? There's been a whole bunch of people before you've had the same problems. And they, oh, yeah, okay, uh, I'm struggling with. And you look and there it is. And if you don't know for sure, you fall back on grace and love. Amen? It's not that tough. Now, hopefully, the the direct application of things is what we're here to do when we gather together on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I, I would remind you, it's not we who examine the Word. It is the Word that examines us. It's not we who examine the Word. Yes, I have to read it, but the Word is then examining my life. It becomes the filter through which 
My life is, is put through the sieve. And the chaff is taken out. And the things that shouldn't be there are filtered. The Word does that. We, we talk about things like the lens of Scripture. In other words, we're looking at life through the Word of God. When you recognize and you see that the Word has that kind of importance, then you all of a sudden have access to the very voice of God. It, it amazes me sometimes how simple it can be. You know, people come with these very complex uh, sets of thought process, processes that they've linked together over long periods of time about some situation in life, and I share two verses with them, and they go, well, that's simple. I go, yeah. The Word of God speaks to it very authoritatively. Now, go do it. problem is, is we don't like things being simple. Sometimes I've begun to to wonder in my latter years, if we don't like conflict, if we don't like a little bit of things being disheveled and out of order, it's kind of like we almost thrive on it. Family of God, the Word of God will simplify your life because it eliminates a lot of stuff from the get-go. Should I be angry? Only to the extent that I don't sin. Should I be bitter? Never. Should I be hateful? Never. Should I be unkind? Never. Should I speak falsely against someone? Never. You see how simple life becomes? Now all of a sudden those words that you would just throw out there because you're mad? Well, i got to watch that. You ever noticed how you create a lot of your own problems? We create a lot of our own problems, don't we? Because we say something we shouldn't say. We know what the Word of God says about that particular aspect of life, and we do it anyway. And guess what? Now we've got five things to deal with instead of one. Trust the Word of God to speak authoritatively to your life. We just pass that along. Notice the first example here, and let's look at these three remaining. And therefore... You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And this certainly is one that many of us uh, have a very clear understanding of what he was saying here. It is not easy to be a soldier, period. It's tough. We were in the back this morning talking. I have cousins and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and friends. Virtually all of us know someone who is either in the military or was. It's not easy. You know, if you go to Afghanistan or Iraq, you're going to be carrying around something on the order of about 80 pounds of battle gear. It's 115 to 120 in the sun. It is not fun. Being in the army is never fun. Being in the navy is not some cushy job. You're buried in the bowels of some ship somewhere in a little tiny room staring at a computer screen waiting for something to blow up. Therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's using the example of the military and making, in essence, Jesus the commander-in-chief. Our orders come from Him. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to get orders that you don't like. You're going to get orders that you disagree with. You're going to get orders that are going to put you in harm's way. You're going to get orders that actually endanger your life from time to time. It's the perfect example. Lesson from living. 
For no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I would hope that this would be so simple that we could just simply take it for what it says. Now, think about it. When you enlist in the military, you just sold yourself, in essence. You, you join the military. Well, you know, I just don't feel like going to war today. I'm having a bad day. I got up this morning and I didn't like my food. And, and those guys, they talked mean to me. <laughs> And my drill instructor, he's a real, he's yucky. And, and gosh, I went out on the deck of the ship and it was hot. And my wife called and our plasma TV is out and I got to go to Best Buy. You, you, you get the picture? You say those things, you got a couple options. Brig is one of them. Dishonorable discharge is another. You signed up for military duty. When you signed up in the kingdom of God, when you said yes to Jesus, you are under His command. And when the orders come down, it's not up to you to discern which ones you do or do not want to follow. It's just like the military. You don't get a choice. If it's hot, you still got to go. If it's freezing cold, you still have to go. If you might be blown into little tiny bits, because you're going to step into that conversation with that person who's really struggling, and their life has fallen apart, and you're walking literally into a spiritual minefield, you still have to go. You have to endure hardship as a good soldier. You've got to put on the battle gear, you got to throw on the armor of God. God doesn't send you out unequipped or ill-equipped. He'll send you out fully equipped. Well, just like our military, it's amazing to me. I was talking to my, my nephew, and, and they were talking about how they'd, they put together their own armor for their Humvees because some of them weren't armored, and so they'd take steel plate and weld them inside. He said they got sometimes so heavy they'd hardly even move. You gotta do what you gotta do. You, you have to engage in the battle. You know, when the bullets start flying, our soldiers aren't sitting there, well, gosh, I could get killed. I'm going back to base. I can't believe I didn't get turkey and ham for Christmas. No, you got an MRE. And you took out the little pouch and you got the little water and you put it in there and you shook it up and it still tastes like baby food. It's hard, it's tough, it's difficult. You have to endure that hardship. I every once in a while I get comments from somebody about you know about ministry itself. Well you only work four hours on Sunday. <laughs> really? That's funny. Why don't you follow me around for a week and see if you can do what I do? And I don't say that disrespectfully. I'm just saying we each have our own place to play the part that God's called us to in, in this thing called ministry. You all are in the ministry. I happen to have the teaching gift, so I do this. But you're in ministry too. You're in ministry to your children. You're in ministry to your husband or your wife. You're in ministry in the workplace. You're in ministry everywhere you go. 
you're in ministry. Now, now maybe I'm a sergeant or something, and you happen to be an infant, infantry person. There may be somebody in here who's actually, you're way up there, you're a colonel. I don't know. But I know this, we got one commander. And the one Lord that is Lord is Lord of all. There's one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism. Ephesians chapter 4 makes it clear. There's one Lord over everybody. There's one commander-in-chief. When our president says to our, our commanders, this is what we're doing, that's what we do. Well, you know, we don't really think we want to do that. Then you really can go to the brig. You can spend time in Leavenworth. Your position is over. Now, praise God, the Lord doesn't kick us out of His kingdom when we disobey Him because we'd all be gone. But we endure hardship. We go through difficult times. Notice the second thing here, the other thing that I think is most important in this particular example of lessons from living. He avoids worldly entanglements. Man. Is that something the church is prone to or what? How many people have compromised their walk with the Lord to be entangled with the world? It literally says to be ensnared by. It means there was a trap set and we stepped in it. It means that there was a plot to take you out and you walked in it. We're to avoid the entanglements with the world. That's why we have to be careful about our business negotiations. That's why we need to be careful about our career selections. That is why we have to be careful about the friends that we keep. That is why we have to be careful about the financial things that we get ourselves into. That's why we need to be careful all the time. What's really being said here is when you go out into the minefield... You need to take your mind detector with you, which would be the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in you. Because if you don't detect the mind, you're going to get blown up. You're going to go out and you're going to get entangled in the trap that the enemy has set for you. And all of a sudden, you're going to be useless to God. Because your witness is going to be completely compromised. Because now you've fallen into drunkenness. Now you've gotten into a financial situation to where you're no help to anyone. Matter of fact, you yourself need help. And by the way, I mean no disrespect to anyone. I, I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone who's struggling financially. I'm just saying that if we are not careful, some of those things come upon us because of us. And we get entangled. We get caught up in it. The picture here, I don't know if you've ever done this. Most of you know that I was in construction. One of the things that we did is we owned a very large fence company. We did a lot of government work. You've seen that gnarly razor ribbon that sits on tops of really tall fences. That, stuff's, it, that is gnarly. That stuff will cut you into tiny bits. It's actually made out of spring steel. You actually have to cut it with bolt cutters. There is a spring steel liner that's inside of that. The rest of it, the reason they call it razor ribbon is because it's razor sharp. But I can tell you what you don't want to do. You do not want to take a 250-foot spool of that, spool it out on the ground, and then have some knucklehead on the other end let go of it. 
Because I've been entangled in that stuff before. And it took two of my guys almost an hour to cut me out of it. Okay? If you're not careful and you get entangled in the things of the world, it can take a long time to cut you out of it. It may take your whole life. And all of a sudden you wonder why you're not able to do anything for the Lord. It's because you're caught up in all the junk of the world. You're trapped in it. You're spending all your time getting out of things you shouldn't have gotten into in the first place because you didn't have, remember where we started, you didn't have the word overruling all these decisions. How many people can say that about various components of their life? Why well, I actually did know. But I thought that I, I'd be the exception. If I had a buck for every time I thought in my head, I would be the exception. I, I, well, we could all go on a vacation. I, I've had those thoughts. I think we've all had those thoughts, frequently and often. Well, it doesn't apply to me. You know, I don't have to be kind to that person. Because they're a jerk. And they've been mean to me. And so I'm going to treat them the same. And then all of a sudden you're entangled in the things of the world. And that compounds. And now there's gossip. And people are talking about you. And before you know it, they're talking about your kids. They're even disrespecting your dogs. Don't get entangled in the world. No one serving as a soldier can afford to do that. Matter of fact, if you're in the military, you can't do it. Well, uh, Sarge, I, I got to go off base. I, I, I got to, you know, I started a business. Really? No, you're not going off base. You need to get back in rank and do the things that you've been called to do and what you signed up for. What you signed up for is to be the light of the world. You signed up to bear the image of Christ on this earth. That's what you signed up for. When you said yes to Jesus, you got salvation, which is by grace and through faith, and that results in the cleansing of your sin and ensures you of eternal life and heaven. But what you are giving up is a life that now is not your own. You're saying that this life is not mine. That's why Paul said, the life that I now live, I live in Christ Jesus. My life is not my own. Those things which I have gained, I count as loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus. You get the picture? You're now under that authority. Our business ventures, our committees, our boards, our assignments, all those things, if they're out of God's perfect plan, can take up time, treasure, talent, effort, energy to where you no longer can do the things that God's called you to do. I, I you know, I, and, and again, you all know, I love sports. I am a sports freak. I enjoy engaging in almost anything. I found out that I'm no longer good at anything, but I enjoy it, okay? It's, I still have fun doing those things. But how many people? Well, I can't go to church because i got a softball game. I can't go to church. I can't minister to anybody because I'm involved in ice skating. How many people walk away from Jesus because of soccer? Now, I know you're sitting there with a shocked look on your face, but it's true, and you know it's true. How many people get entangled in the things of the world, and all of a sudden those things that are just the earth and going to stay here become more important than your walk with the Lord? 
there shouldn't be anything more important than your walk with the Lord. So if you're going to play soccer, you're a Christian soccer player now. If you're going to play softball, it's a Christian softball player. If you're going to go out and do anything on this earth, you are a child of God. Don't get entangled in the world and make sure that you're not drawn away to that thing so that you're no good to God. It has to still be that you are falling in rank and in order with the things of the Lord. There's limits to the things that we should put ourselves under. We're under orders. We need to follow those. The second example, the athlete. No one competes in athletics, the NIV says. He's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Guess what? As an athlete, as as someone who is endeavoring to seek to win, which I would pray you all want to win, amen? It doesn't mean that you earn your salvation, by the way. That's guaranteed to you by grace and through faith. But I would think you want to win. In other words, you want to compete in such a way that you get recognized for that crown which awaits you in heaven at the Bema seat of Christ. I don't want to get to the Bema seat and go, sorry, nothing there. I would like to have the Lord, when he says, well done, enter into my kingdom of rest, that there would actually be a crown for the things that I've done in this life. At least one. The same is true in athletics. We start up a softball team. We're not going to, we're the losers. The Calvary Chapel Running Springs losers. We play every game to lose. It's our motto. Nobody does that. You know, most of us ski and snowboard. We live here. We get to do those kind of things. You know what I don't want to do? After 30 years of winter sports, I really don't still want to do the snowplow on the bunny hill. Wow, look at me, I'm going three. I want to be ripping it up. I want to be hitting the moguls. I want to fly off of stuff. I want to go fast. I want to go far. Amen? Amen? In Jesus' name. You go out on a wakeboarding boat, you, you, you don't really want to be just up down. You go out doing the things, that whatever it is that you do, that athletic endeavor, you should not want to be a loser. You want to be a winner. you got to compete by the rules, though. Amen? Here's your rules right here. This is the rules regarding life and godliness. And so insofar as our spiritual athletics are concerned, we do have a rule book. I've shared with you before, the great Jim Thorpe lost his gold medals because he didn't compete by the rules. Okay? Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, is not because he gambled. Mark McGuire, home run king, very tainted because of human growth hormone injections and other things. you got to compete by the rules, otherwise you'll lose the reward. doesn't mean you lose heaven. It means that when you get there, you're going to have nothing to be proud of. You know, I... In high school, I competed on a number of teams that, well, I will just tell you, we stunk. We were not good. And I can tell you this, it is a bummer to repeatedly be on teams that are not good. But I can also tell you that doesn't keep you from individually wanting to be excellent. Amen? I, I, I was on a couple of track teams. It's just like, I mean, we got, we got blown away. It was just like, it was pathetic. 
But it didn't stop me from doing what I thought was my best. One of those track teams, we finished last in our league. Last. 24 teams. We were dead last. But I myself placed second in the state in California. So you can do what you can do. the, The results are up to God. Make sure that you're competing to win. During the time that this was written, the Greek games in particular, uh, the Olympic games as we know them, got their start at this time. There were very stringent rules. You had to compete within those rules. And if you don't, you will be disqualified. You know, for Paul, there was no grandstand cheering. He's in prison. There were not a bunch of guys next door. Go, Paul, go, Paul, go, Paul. Paul is awesome. There was nobody doing the wave in the cell next door. Yeah. Paul was alone, but he was still a winner. Paul was by himself, but it wasn't for the roar of the crowd. It was for the smile on the face of God. It's like, I know where my reward is, and it isn't here. We compete for that reward. We obey the Word of God and let God work out the final details. The final example here, the farmer. The hardworking farmer must first partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so he makes just a single sentence about farming. Notice a couple of things, though. Farming's not easy. Now, we we don't here in Southern California have a whole lot of farms left. When I grew up, we still had a lot of farms left, specifically citrus, avocado, vineyards, grew some wheat. Our family actually had farms in Poway. But I can tell you this, farming is not an eight-hour-a-day job. Farming is a 14- to 16-hour-a-day job at a bare minimum. Farming is hard work. Being a Christian's hard work. Being a pastor is hard work. It requires all of your effort. And you're not punching a clock. As I've shared with you before, you, you don't get to be off duty as a child of God. When somebody's life needs a touch from the Lord, well, call my secretary and see if we can you know, get an appointment. I'll, I'll see you a week from tomorrow. You're not off. When you work at farming, you do what you have to do when you have to do it, period. Well, you know, I'm kind of tired of planting. Then you're also going to starve to death. Well, you know, I just don't want to pay my fertilizer bill, and I think I'll just not fertilize the crops, so you're going to starve to death. You're going to notice something here. The option is you starve to death especially at the turn of the last century and before. You did not engage in farming as if it meant the end of your existence. You starved to death. It's important, family of God, we recognize that that as children of God, you're going to have to work hard at it. It isn't going to be as easy as you'd like it to be. We've got, in our family, we still have... Well, my 
stepbrother has a hog farm in Iowa. It's crazy how much work goes into that. It's, that's all for your bacon. Actually, my bacon, now that I think about it. Yeah, it's not easy. It's messy. It's dirty. It's smelly. When, when you farm, you get dirty. And there are no two ways about it. For those of you who have never driven heavy equipment, you have dirt in parts of your body you didn't even know you had. You're, you're like, you're taking a shower and you think you're all clean and all of a sudden you, you know, you wipe that one spot behind your ear and the washcloth is black. It's hard work. It's dirty work. You know, the world's a mess. You're going to get dirty in this world. You're going to see things that you probably don't want to see. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to be places that are going to expose you to the dust storms of life. But those things shouldn't be an end all to you. You should be persevering through them. I was doing a building a radio station down in Corpus Christi, Texas, a number of years ago. And if you don't know anything about Texas, they, that's the finest dirt on earth, I think. And, and this road that we were cutting in was just, it, it had the top like two feet was this, it's like talcum powder except brown. I, I literally would have to change the air filter on that cat about every hour. It was so unbelievably dusty that it's just like, it was mind-boggling. And I remember one time I pulled that in, and an air filter on a, on a cat's pretty good size. They're not like on your car, they're, you know, eight inches in diameter and a foot and a half long. And I pulled that thing out and I tapped it on the ground and, and literally there was a pile of dirt like six inches tall that came out of that after running it for an hour. You know, sometimes in life when you're working hard, things get real dirty real fast. And I want to encourage you. You just have to keep moving. You, you can't quit. It's not an option. Whether you're plowing or sowing or watering or harvesting, you, you, you know, if you want to partake of the crops, you got to get to the end. Amen? The picture here is the Lord of the harvest. When I get to heaven, I, I hope and I pray and I believe with all my heart there will be. There's going to be people there because I invested in farming while I was on this earth. And I don't mean farming as in crops. I mean farming as in souls. The picture here is apply the word and then go farm. Go do what you got to do. You, maybe you water. And I see this at the camp all the time. It's, it's kind of, I feel bad about it, quite frankly, every once in a while. Because here people have invested in the lives of these kids for years. Maybe decades. Parents have been... You know, praying over their kids and all of a sudden the, the Spirit of God just moves and the harvest comes in. But you know what? It would never have happened. Those experiences would never happen were it not for you watering. Were it not for you planting. Were it not for you pulling the weeds. You, you see, when you engage in the business of farming, you're going to do a lot of boring mundane, insanely, just seemingly fruitless things. You have those people in your life where you, you keep telling them about Jesus, and it's like, it's like, 
It hits the other wall after passing through their head that fast. You think. You'll never know. You know, I was flying over Brazil this last time. I actually had some clear skies. And I mean, I'm looking down at these farm fields that are carved out of river canyons and these, basically these tops of these mesas. And you look at them, they just go on for miles. And they're not flat like Kansas and Oklahoma. They're, it's hilly and, you know, everything is up. There's a river on two sides and they're in the middle. And you, you look at how these farmers have gone out there. It must take them weeks to plow those fields. And, and they're perfect. They're just, you know, you can see where they've gone around every contour and every canyon and every little group of trees that's still left. I would be bored out of my skull. I'm the type of person that, you know, after about the second pass, I'm like, I have calculated to the second when this is going to be over, okay? I know how many gallons of fuel it's going to use. I, I know how many times I'm going to have to do whatever. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm just built that way. But I'm sure thankful for the guys that just plow. I'm so thankful for the person that pulls out that big combine that's got the seed racks on it, and they just plant. I'm really thankful for the guys that water, the guys that make sure the fertilizer's on the field, and the weed killer. You know, sometimes you get to be weed killer too, don't you? You ever seen weeds pop up in somebody's life? You pull out the Word of God and kill a few weeds? Roundup for the soul. Got that one. Takes all of us doing what God's called us to do. And I pray we do it. And really that's kind of the end of this message. You can do it. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Think it over. Mull it over. Ponder it in your heart, your mind. Really it says meditate on it. Take these things and meditate on them, and then let the Lord work in your life to accomplish great things. Whether that's in the military example, whether that's in the athletic example, whether that's in the farming example, these are lessons from living. You can apply God's timeless truths in so many different ways. You can take these things and apply them to your life and then help others to apply them to theirs so that when we get there, there's rewards waiting. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning together in your word. And Lord, help us in that sense of battle. Lord, help us to put on the armor of faith. Lord, that armor of the Spirit of God that, that enables us to stand. Lord, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, help us to go into the battlefield willingly. Lord, and if necessary, take that bullet. Father, we pray for that type of diligence and forthrightness, Lord, to withstand in these last days. And God, we would also pray that as we compete, we don't want our competition to be in vain. We really do want to win. We want to have victory in you. And so, Lord, we know that we're assured of heaven, but we also know that there's others that can go if we will do our part. And so, Lord, we realize your spirit calls upon the hearts of men, and maybe they're just waiting for us, Lord, to be that example of what it means to live godly in Christ Jesus. Help us to do that. Help us to train hard. And, Father, when we go into the field, 
Lord, we recognize even if we get dirty, if it's dusty. Lord, if it seems like nothing's happening, those plants aren't coming up as fast as we think they should. God, help us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in that labor that is in you, knowing that we will harvest in due time. And so, God, we thank you for these lessons from living. We pray that you'd help us to apply them to our lives. Bless us as your people, we pray. We ask these things in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Amen. My soul thirsts for the living God. My soul.